Hello and welcome to episode number 78 of the Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? This is Chris Tripodi of DraftAnalyst.com, and I'm joined by Tony Pauline as we continue to go conference by conference to preview the NFL Draft prospects to watch this season from programs around the country. This episode will feature part two of our Big Ten preview, starting with Nebraska and finishing up at the bottom of the alphabet with Wisconsin. How's it going on your end, Tony? I'm okay, as we are supposed to move into a major heat wave here in the New York area. It's supposed to get hot and hotter, really, through the weekend, uh, as we tape this on a Wednesday evening. And we're going to get into the hottest part of uh, the Big Ten, as far as the NFL prospects are concerned, because, you know, it's always Ohio State. Every year, Ohio State has the top prospects, and they have the most prospects from the conference, NFL prospects, and it looks like that's the way it's going to be for April of 2020. And now, no need for a conference overview this week. That can be found near the start of episode 77 from last Thursday. So go listen to that if you want kind of a breakdown of what we're looking for from the Big Ten as a whole. But here, we'll go right into Nebraska, where it's been kind of rough lately for the Cornhuskers. Before the 2016 draft, they had 54 consecutive seasons with multiple players drafted. 2017 and 2018, they had just one player drafted. And this year, there were none. The first time since 1962. That Nebraska did not have a player drafted at all. They should get back on the board in 2020, however. They have several third-day prospects on defense, starting with Carlos Davis, who will actually join us on the show later. Made a big impact as a redshirt freshman. Spent much of last season as a nose tackle. Struggled a little bit. He's going to be back at defensive end as a one-gap end this season. Fits his smooth-moving skill set far better than he did on the inside of the line, and he'll look to build on an honorable mention all-day 10 season. Here in 2019, Darian Daniels is the guy who's going to slide into Davis's vacant nose tackle spot, sat out the 2018 season as a transfer from Oklahoma State, has the size to fit that role better than Davis did last season. And leading tackler Muhammad Barry also returns to the team, sixth in tackles in the Big Ten in 2018. Another honorable mention, all Big Ten selection, should again be effective as a speedy will linebacker in the Nebraska defense. Tony, break down these Huskers for us. You know, in a lot of ways, I think that Carlos Davis is reminiscent of what we've seen. Uh, we've seen the downfall of the Nebraska program. I mean, as you said, he was terrific as a redshirt freshman. At that point in time, I graded him as a potential third-round prospect. You know, he, he was okay as a sophomore. He improved his production, but I, I thought the film was a little bit better. And then last year, they moved him to nose tackle, and he really struggled. We'll see what happens. They're kicking him back out to defensive end this year. Uh, we'll find out if it's going to be more of a situation where his responsibilities are playmaking versus uh, a gap occupying. He's a good player. He's got some underlying talent. I presently grade him as a fifth rounder. I know that there are scouts who like him as a sixth rounder. He's got a good amount of upside. He's a decent athlete. It's just a matter of finding a position that's right for him. I, even though he played nose tackle, even though he's going to play end in a, in a three-man line this year, I actually think he's best as a conventional defensive tackle, potentially a three-technique guy. And hopefully it pans out for him. He has an upside. I just think that unless he uh, has a big season, his draft stock is going to take a hit. As you mentioned, Darian Daniels makes his way over from Oklahoma State. Answering the 2018 season uh, when he was supposed to be a senior at Oklahoma State, scouts gave him a pretty substantial grade. They thought he was going to be a fourth, fifth-round pick. Sat on the sidelines. For whatever reason, he's now playing at Oklahoma. He's going to be on the, at nose tackle position at the Nebraska this year. He's quick. He's explosive. He's very strong, fundamentally sound, uh, plays with great pad level and leverage. So he's a guy who comes into the season with a little bit uh, depressed draft rage from a year ago, but that's because he sat on the sidelines. 
A lot of people like uh, Muhammad Barry, Mo Barry. He's a terrific uh, run and chase linebacker, good speed, uh, uh, runs in the four sevens, probably plays a little bit faster, relatively instinctive. The problem with him is he's a little bit small. He's under six foot tall, goes about 230 pounds, but he can run down ball handlers from the backside and make plays in space, uh, which is a premium for linebackers this year. Keep an eye on their cornerback, Lamar Jackson. He's got outstanding size, six foot two, 211 pounds, average speed in the mid to high four fives. I grade him as a free agent. I know that there are some scouts who like him as a six-rounder. Struggles making plays with his back to the ball, but he's physical, works hard to get involved, really beats down defenders. I don't know that he's going to be a cornerback, but I think with that size and with that physicality, you can kick him inside uh, to safety, especially the fact if he doesn't run well. He's a guy who may have to be moved inside because of the lack of athleticism, but he's a guy who can play, I think, uh, in nickel packages and be a special teams demon. Now we'll move on to Northwestern here, who had quarterback Clayton Thorson drafted in April after really a dominant Big Ten West season, 8-1 and in conference. The team's leading tacklers and also the leading tacklers in the conference both returned in 2019, and that would be junior linebackers Blake Gallagher and Patty Fisher. Gallagher was an honorable mention All-Big Ten selection after his 127 tackles led the conference. Fisher had fewer tackles, but he did earn first-team All-Conference honors compared to Gallagher's honorable mention. He was the first Wildcat with 100 tackles in back-to-back season since current Colts linebacker Anthony Walker did it in 2015 and 2016. Fisher, though, three inches taller than Gallagher, 15 pounds heavier, a top 45 prospect to some in the scouting world, but we have him and Gallagher very close on our board. Why is that, Tony? Well, Patty Fisher is, is uh, very high on the, on the outside. If you, if you talk to scouts who have graded him, uh, even though he's a junior, Presently, they grade him as a fifth rounder right now. I give him a round better as a fourth rounder. I still think he's a third-day pick. You know, he collects a lot of tackles, but there just are not enough wow plays, as far as I'm concerned, for a guy that's six foot two, 240 pounds, probably runs in the four sevens. He's a smart, disciplined linebacker, but he just does not do enough to blow me away, which uh, Blake Gallagher absolutely does. I mean, Blake Gallagher is a guy who plays with great urgency. He flashes on the th- scene. I think he's more explosive than Patty Fisher. But as you said, there's just that large discrepancy in size. You know, Gallagher, if he's lucky, he's at five foot 11, 222 pounds. He doesn't have that great sideline to sideline range, although he plays like his hair is on fire. Uh, Patty Fisher, I think in the outside world or outside the scouting community <clears throat> is being overrated. He's a good player, but I don't think right now he's he uh, grades as a, a top 90 choice. At least I know scouts I've talked to don't have him as a top 90 choice. Now, Tony earlier mentioned the heat wave that's kind of all over the state of New York here. It was about 93 degrees two hours ago. It's raining now, so it dropped down a little bit. It's supposed to be 100 this weekend, but we're going to get into the heat wave of the Big Ten. The next two programs here that we're going to go over loaded with NFL talent. We're going to start with Ohio State, which had nine players drafted in April including Nick Bosa and Dwayne Haskins in round one. Now, on our board, OSU has 15 players graded as draftable. Obviously, not all of them are going to declare, but our top-rated Buckeye is running back J.K. Dobbins. He's got feature back size. He's a good athlete, catches the ball really well out of the backfield as well, so he's a complete three-down player. We were both big Mike Weber fans leading up to April's draft, and Dobbins immediately pushed Weber aside after he joined the program, which tells you a lot and everything you need to know about what this player could be at the NFL level. Many are also high on edge rusher Chase Young. He was second team all Big Ten in 2018. He's gotten a lot of preseason All-American hype heading into the 2019 season. Last year, he tied for second in the conference with nine and a half sacks, very quick off the edge, great speed, has good length at six foot five, not near the top 
of our board overall, but easily a first-rounder. Two cornerbacks to mention here for the Buckeyes, Damon Arnett and Jeffrey Akuda. Arnett's more experienced as a fifth-year senior, while Akuda's a true junior. But Akuda may have more upside, if not the polish of Arnett. Both of them are over six foot tall and around 200 pounds, and they're going to make life difficult on opposing quarterbacks and wide receivers all season long. The last player I want to touch on here, because we could go on and on about the Ohio State prospects, is linebacker Malik Harrison. Honorable mention all Big Ten in 2018 as a first-year starter, six foot three, 240 pounds, can affect the game in multiple ways on defense, both as a blitzer and a guy who's going to make plays all over the field. Obviously, lots of intrigue here with Ohio State, Tony. Where's your focus going to be? Yeah, and of those 15 draftable prospects right now, nine of them great as first or second day selections on our board. So, yeah, I, I mean, what you said about uh, Dobbins is right on, I, and the tape proves it. I mean, he is a complete back. He doesn't have the great height, but he shows enough strength to, to uh, pound it out on the inside. He's got good short area quickness, some ability to create. He can turn the corner. Terrific, terrific pass catcher out of the backfield. I have a feeling this is his last year in college. Uh, I have a feeling he'll declare himself eligible for the 2020 draft, and he will be a first-round choice. Chase Young, like you said, I mean, at one point in time when I did a mock draft, I put the mock draft together. I had Chase Young near the top. When I really watched the film, watched the game film and broke it down, I have my concerns. He's a very good pass rusher. He's fast off the edge, but he's streaky. He struggles against the run, and I think he's a guy that's got to get bigger and stronger. Absolute terrific athlete who can make plays in space and chase, chase the action in pursuit, can create a lot of havoc up the field, but he really has to develop a complete game like you know Joey and Nick Boza did when they became early uh, top five picks. Uh, I don't think Chase Young is there just yet. He's got a decent frame. He's got the frame to add growth. He's got some growth potential, which I think he's going to have to meet. I agree with you with Malik Harrison. Malik Harrison right now is graded by scouts as the top senior prospect on the Ohio State roster. Uh, I love his athleticism. I love his ability to make plays sideline to sideline. I think he's developing into a three-down player, uh, stacks well against the run, gets stepped on his pass drops, just has to take his game to the next level. One last guy I want to uh, mention who I have a fondness for is Jordan Fuller, the safety. He's graded by scouts as a uh, free agent. I grade him as a six-rounder. Jordan Fuller, if you watch the 2017 film, looked like a top 60 pick, no doubt about it. His game took a step back last year, and he really fell from a guy who – uh, was going to be a top 60 pick. Some scouts have him as a free agent. I have him as a six-rounder. Six he's a complete safety. The thing with Fuller is how fast is he? If he's a four-six guy, he's going to be a late-round pick. But if he plays well and he runs in the four-fives, there's no doubt in my mind he's going to move into the middle rounds of the draft. Now, the second of those loaded programs that we mentioned earlier is the Penn State Nittany Lions. Five players drafted in April. Only Miles Sanders and Connor McGovern, though, went on the first two days of the draft. They had three third-day picks. And 2020 could be a similar situation for Penn State. We have eight draftable player grades, three top 100 marks. The best of those is for defensive end Yatur Gross Matos, second team All-Big Ten in 2018, had 20 tackles for loss and eight sacks as a first-year starter. Technically sound player, a good athlete, and definitely has room to grow into his 6'5", 264-pound frame, a player who definitely could push for the first round and be in that top 30 conversation. Linebacker Cam Brown got his first chance to start as a junior last season, made 63 tackles, also broke up six passes and forced three fumbles, was around the ball a lot. Like Gross Matos, he's six foot five, but he's 30 pounds lighter, so that means he has even more growth potential. And the last guy here that we're going to discuss, at least until Tony gets started, is KJ Hamler. He was Trace McSorley's leading receiver as a redshirt freshman, 42 receptions for 754 yards and five touchdowns. 
He also returned kicks and punts. He was an honorable mention all Big Ten as both a receiver and a returner. But he's 5'9", he's 173 pounds, so he's small, but he's a big play waiting to happen. Tony, who excites you in Happy Valley? Yeah, you know, Gross Matos, I really like him a lot. In fact, I think at times he comes across as much more explosive than Chase Young of Ohio State. He's terrific off the edge, good change of direction. Uh, He's a guy who can immediately alter his angle of attack. I don't think he's the athlete of Chase Young, which is why I have him graded a little bit lower. I think he's got an excellent frame. He does a solid job against the run. I think he comes with a high upside. You know, I think he's a fringe first-round pick right now. If he has a good year and he tests well, he's definitely going to fit into the late part of round one of 2020 if he enters. Cam Brown, I agree with what you say. Cam Brown's a good athlete, and he's a good linebacker. He makes plays sideline to sideline. The problem is, is he's tall and he's thin. He's just got to fill that frame out, and he's got to keep his speed and to keep his quickness. He's uh, a three-down defender. He can play sideline to sideline. He can play in space. Uh, a lot of things to like about his game. Hamler, as you mentioned, I mean, he is just an explosive guy. You know, there's a saying, if he's even, he's leaving. And that's what it is with Hamler. If, if he's even with the defender, defender cannot stay with him. He has legit home run hitting speed. He's the type of guy that when he enters the draft, I expect something in the low four threes from him. He impacts the game as a slot receiver. He impacts the game as a return specialist. The problem with Hamler is, you know, 5'8 and a half, 166 pounds. A lot of teams don't like those Smurf type of uh, receivers. Another guy who I really like a lot is offensive lineman Steven Gonzalez. He's been a solid player for uh, Penn State. Scouts grade him as a free agent. I have him as a six-rounder. 6'4", 343 pounds. You know, not the greatest athlete in the world, but a typical no-nonsense Penn State offensive lineman who may not have the great upside, but you know what you're getting with him, and I think he's going to be a consistent pro at the next level, a guy who could eventually start. Now, like Nebraska, Purdue had a long draft streak snapped. No players selected for the Boilermakers for the first time since 1997. They haven't had a player drafted in the top four rounds since defensive tackle Kawan Short way back in 2013. But the team's coming off consecutive bowl wins, and they could end up snapping that top four round streak too, thanks to linebacker Marcus Bailey, who was second team all Big Ten last season, ranked third in the conference with 115 tackles, also has 12 and a half career sacks and six career interceptions. He's a fourth-rounder on our board, does get some third-round grades as well. There are three potential last-round picks for the Boilermakers, defensive tackle Lorenzo Neal, linebacker Derek Barnes, and tight end Bryson Hopkins. All three were named honorable mention all-conference in 2018. Neal is a two-year starter, six foot three, 315 pounds, a potential zero or one-technique defensive tackle. Barnes ranked third on the team with 92 tackles in his first year as a starter. And Hopkins, 34 catches last year, 583 yards, two touchdowns, that's a big yards per reception number for a tight end. He's a big play type of guy up the seam. Nine career touchdowns. Should be a full-time starter this year as well with Cole Herdman gone. Tony, what are your thoughts on some of these Boilermakers? Yeah, you know, Purdue last year was a good, uh, good story on the field. They get to a postseason bowl game. They beat Ohio State late in the year to knock Ohio State from the ranks of the undefeated. And they're, they're a good, uh, good story off the field with the whole Tyler Trent situation, the Purdue student who uh, sadly and eventually passed away from the uh, bone cancer that he was suffering from for such a long time. You know, there were some scouts that absolutely love Marcus Bailey. I have him graded as a fourth-round pick. I've heard that in some scouting areas, he's graded as early as a second-round pick. He is a tough, nasty, fierce, in-your-face type of linebacker. 
decent in coverage, but really best in the boxer up the field. A guy that's going to knock the socks off of ball carriers, you know, separate the ball from the ball handler. A guy who plays with a, with a vicious attitude against the run. Outstanding run instincts. Has some size limitations at six foot tall, 236 pounds. He's a guy who I expect will play at the senior bowl. I, I look at him more as a two down linebacker. He's a smart guy. I look at him more as a two down linebacker, and I, I just don't think he offers enough versatility on the field to move into the second day of the draft. But he's a good football player, and there's a place for him at the next level. Lorenzo Neal is a bit of a tease. Lorenzo Neal has been dismissed by some scouts. Others have him graded as a seventh rounder. We grade him as a seventh rounder. He's a guy that at times flashes ability and then will disappear (laughs) for a series of down after series of down. You you won't even see him. He's quick. He's explosive. He flashes power. But then again, all too often, he'll be handled at the point by a single blocker. I haven't really talked to scouts about him, but it seems like a situation where Neil is happy getting by on his natural physical skills rather than taking his game to the next level. Because if he took his game to the next level, I think he would universally be graded by scouts and even by somebody like myself as a mid-round pick when you look at the fact that he's six foot one, 320 pounds, and he can cause an impact. And Neil's a guy that I've watched for three years. I noticed him uh, three years ago when he was a freshman. He just really hasn't progressed the way I thought. You mentioned Bryson Hopkins. I have him as a free agent. Some scouts have him as a uh, seventh rounder. There are some scouts who absolutely love him, think he's a mid-third round choice because of that size, because of that speed, because of that pass-catching ability, because of, as you mentioned, you know, the ability to make big plays as a pass catcher, he needs to step up his game. As you said, he's going to move into the starting lineup in a pass-happy uh, Purdue system. He's going to get a lot more opportunities. You know, if he has the season that's expected and he takes his game to the next level and he has a lot of production, he could end up the third-round choice that a lot of scouts believe he is. I just don't see enough consistent productivity from him on the field. Now we'll head east here for the easternmost team in the Big Ten Conference, and that's Rutgers. This is a team that only beat Texas State last year. That was a 35-7 win in their opener. They lost 11 straight games to finish the season. Didn't pick up a conference victory. But the Scarlet Knights did have two players drafted, defensive backs Saquon Hampton and Blasson Austin. Damon Hayes is going to pick up some of that slack in the secondary. He moved from quarterback to strong safety before the 2018 season. He's a two-year starter with a definite shot to get drafted. K.J. Gray would have been another defensive back to watch from the Rutgers program but he was booted from the program last week on July 10th, charged with marijuana possession two days later on July 12th. The Scarlet Knights' top two prospects, however, are on offense. That's offensive tackle Kamal Seymour, the two-year starter at right tackle, and running back Raheem Blackshear, who rushed for 586 yards and three touchdowns last year, likely to split work again with Isaiah Pacheco in the backfield. Who stands out to you here for the Scarlet Knights, Tony? Uh, you know, I guess it would be Seymour. I grade him as a potential uh, six-round pick. Scouts have him as a free agent. He's got terrific size. He's got relatively decent athleticism. He can play left or right tackle. He's a guy that's got a great amount of upside, long arms and big hands. He just has to step up his game. You mentioned Blackshear. There are a lot of scouts who like cornerback Damon Hayes. They got him graded as a late-round pick. The bottom line is this. You know, we're both in the New York area. We've seen nothing but a lot of awful football from uh, Rutgers. I mean, this goes back, uh, you know, really to the days when they were getting pummeled by Miami when they were in the Big East. I I mean, at times it's just unwatchable with Rutgers. They got to do something with the program. 
So far, it's been a big mistake moving to the Big Ten. I think they figured when they moved from the Big East to the Big Ten, they would be able to recruit more of their own uh, top-rated talent from the state of New Jersey. Hasn't worked out. Rutgers, you know, you, you said that they had a couple players drafted last year, but, you know, a lot of those players have not panned out, especially the early picks from the last couple of years. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens with the uh, program. That's the second program in the New York area that's really floundering. We talked about the uh, issues and the problems with UConn a couple of weeks ago when we did our AAC preview. Uh, Rutgers, I, I mean, beat Texas State. They got hammered by Buffalo last year, if you remember, at Rutgers. Just got hammered. So, and, the, and the fact is, is the talent's tailing off. I mean, they, they've lost a lot of guys to suspension or guys who were dismissed, as you mentioned, K.J. Gray. And, and overall, it's, it's just not a good situation. And you can tell because that might be the first time that I've heard Tony talk more about the negatives surrounding a program than the actual prospects coming out of it, which kind of tells you all you need to know about where Rutgers is at right now. You know, and the, and the sad thing is, is when I, I, I was at Rucker Stadium, the Greg Schiano years, when there was a, a tremendous amount of excitement, I would go there to scout games live. I scouted the Louisville game, which was a Thursday night game where they beat Louisville and, and they moved into uh, the top 10. They beat South Florida that year on a Thursday night at Rucker Stadium with South Florida, who was ranked as the, the number two team in the nation. The excitement was huge. It was fun to go there and, and scout the scout players live because there was a good amount of talent on the field. I mean, it's just dead now. It's, it's, it's just it's tough to watch. Now, we'll wrap up the Big Ten by going to our final team here, a team that is not dead and certainly is fun to watch and will be again. We're going to go to Wisconsin. The first season under 10 wins last year since 2013. They did have four players drafted. Three of them ended up coming in round five. But they have a similar number of draftable prospects in 2020 with a few who could end up in the top 50. Many expected Tyler Biedaz to enter April's draft. Instead, the center's back for his junior season. He was a consensus first-team All-Big Ten player last year gotten some All-America mention as well, easily a first-round grade on our board. Tight end Jake Ferguson only made two starts in 2018, but he was just a redshirt freshman. He was the second leading receiver on the team, 36 catches, 456 yards, and four touchdowns. Obviously, lots of room to grow and definitely high upside for Ferguson. Running back Jonathan Taylor is one of the nation's best backs, over 4,000 rushing yards the past two years almost seven yards per carry. He was recently named to Bruce Feldman's freak list, reportedly ran a 4-3, 40-yard dash at nearly 220 pounds. He only has 16 career receptions, though, so he's going to have to improve in the passing game to have a shot at being taken in the first round, but he combines size, speed, and strength with patience while his big offensive line opens holes for him. Tony, Wisconsin's definitely a bit top-heavy with prospects this season, but there's still plenty of intrigue in Madison. Yeah, top-heavy with prospects on the offensive side of the ball. Now, let's go to Biedaz. You know, there was a report that scouts said Biedaz did not play all that well last year. I learned at the Senior Bowl that he was suffering with a hip injury, and he had to have off-season surgery on the hip. I was told at the Senior Bowl that it was suggested by Wisconsin that he wait until after spring football, and Biedaz was told, no way, have it done. Miss spring football, so you're ready, you know, to go for the 2020 draft. So I kind of get the idea that if he's healthy and if he has a decent season, the decision has already been made that he's going to enter the draft as well. He should. I mean, I know he didn't have a great season last year, but I right now give him a first round grade. Uh, you look at what he showed in 2017. He's explosive, fundamentally sound, very athletic. He's not a typical Wisconsin lineman that's good at the line of scrimmage and lumbers around the field. He can get out to the second level and take on linebackers. Uh, his agility, his smarts, 
Uh, everything fits together for the next level for him. It's just a matter of, is he healthy? Is that hip healthy? Which is why I heard he struggled last year and did not enter the draft. I love their tight end, Jake Ferguson. I think he's got tremendous upside. He's got a long, thin frame, which should only fill out as he physically matures. I actually have uh, Jake Ferguson graded higher than Jonathan Taylor right now because I think Ferguson is more versatile. He'll get down the field. He'll make the big reception. I think he's a three-down player. I like Taylor, but I think Taylor's a little bit limited. He's more of an interior back. He's not a guy who's going to create yardage. He's not a perimeter runner. As you mentioned, the pass catching needs to improve. Solid back, but not a great back. But still, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, you're looking at a first-rounder and be a Daz, a potential first-rounder in Jake Ferguson, and at the very least, a second-rounder in Jonathan Taylor. And we'll bring on this week's guest in just a minute. But before we do, please support the Draft Analyst by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or any of the big podcast platforms. You can also find us at Believe.com. Leave us a rating and a review. If you have any questions you want answered on the show, that's at Chris Tripodi, at Tony Pauline, at Draft Analyst One, and at the podcast to get in touch with the show. Now, without further ado, we're honored to have Nebraska defensive lineman Carlos Davis join us on the show this week. Right now, he's actually at a get-together with his defensive coordinator and his entire Nebraska defense here. So, privileged to have him join us. Carlos, how's your summer going? Uh, it's been busy, man. I just... Uh... Finished spring ball, then I started up track again. Track took me all, up until, all the way until June 14th and then came right back to summer conditioning. And then it's been hitting it hard ever since. Carlos, this is Tony Pauline. Thanks for joining us. You know, there's a new season around the corner, and the past couple of years have not been kind to the Cornhuskers. So what's the feeling moving towards the 2019 campaign? Man, I think a lot of people are going to be excited with the, the way we're we're, we're going to ball out this year the team is just the chemistry is just people saw the end of our season last year and it just continued and it's going to be a big year for Cornhuskers I can't wait now many people know your twin brother plays on the same defensive line with you at Nebraska probably at the same party with you right now as we speak what's it like getting to play together beyond high school man I, I wish everybody could experience but uh there's definitely not a lot of people with a twin that can you know, it's just as athletic as I am, and then we'll play D1 together. So it's a blessing, man. Um, it brings a lot of chemistry to the D-line, especially when we're on the field. I kind of don't – I don't have to worry about him out there. You know, we're always, re we're always ready for anything when we're together. Now, Carlos, you come from Blue Springs, Missouri, not too far of a ride from Lincoln, Nebraska. Did you have any other offers from other schools, and did you consider any other offers, or was it the Nebraska Cornhuskers from the get-go? Um, to be honest, we, uh, you know, we actually started looking at school for track because we were, I was number one in the nation, Clio was number two right behind me in discus. So we were really just looking at school for track. And then right when we were, right after our freshman year, we got offered by Mizzou at a camp. And that was our first football offer. And then it just kind of took off from there. But we always wanted to go to Nebraska. Nebraska was kind of the last guys to offer. They had been looking at us for a long time because my uncle was a black shirt. So that's, you know, we, in the back of our head, we knew where we wanted to go, but we were just waiting on that offer. And once they offered, we were done. Now, was it a package deal that whatever school offered you a scholarship had to offer your brother or vice versa? Or was there an opportunity where you might have gone to different schools? When we first began recruited, I was, because I, I started playing varsity before Clue did, so I got a little bit of offers before he did. So 
originally I thought we could split up and go different place, but it would have been harder for my parents to come see us play. So we just kind of said it's a package deal, and the schools were okay with that. You know, now, Carlos, you and I have something in common. I actually trained for the Olympic decathlon for 11 years, and I was a pretty decent discus thrower. Obviously, not to the extent that you. I was a better shot putter than I was a discus thrower, but I wasn't too bad with the discus. You, on the other hand, just competed in the NC2A Nationals throwing the discus. So tell us a little bit about your, your uh, track and field background. Okay, yeah, yeah. So Khalil and I, we started, um, we started running. We were running at first. We did the 4x4, four four, we did the 200, 100, and, uh, and as time went on, I got bigger than Khalil. I was bigger than him, always bigger than him. So I couldn't run anymore because there was a weight limit, so I had to go throw you know, some weights. So I started doing shot put in eighth grade or seventh grade, and he was still running. So I got, a, I got the, the hang of it quicker than he did. And then we did it in high school all the way up until our freshman year in high school, and then we stopped and just did discus and shot up until our senior year. And uh, I threw my best throw in high school. Uh, it was the Missouri record for about four years. It just got broke um, about a month ago in May by a dude from Jeff City. But I threw 212 feet at the state meet. Wow. And then, so we were, we were, we could, we could have gone anywhere we wanted. And we told Nebraska that. Uh, I was second team All-American. It was my second time going to national. Uh, the year before, I got third team All-American. This year, I got second team. And I threw my best throw in college was 191. Now, did you throw a lot of shot put in college? And what were your marks like? So we did We did it our freshman year because we, we got redshirted. So we had a little bit more time. And in high school, Cliff threw 63. I threw about 60 feet. In college, we got to like 58. And that was about it. Throw shot put. Do you uh, use the spin, uh, spin method or you just slide across the uh, circle? It was weird because high school, we used to glide. College, we spin. We spun for everything else. How do you combine the training for track and field and football? How do you, how do you work that out? Nebraska, man, they just – so when off-season training, me and Khalil will practice track practice after. Spring ball, we'll stop track practice, and we'll just do spring ball. And right after uh, spring ball ends, that next week, we always go to a meet and we start our, our track season. But we always make it to nationals, so – it ends up going up until June, like June 4th or June 10th. Now back to football here quickly. You've gone back and forth between defensive tackle and defensive end in your career. Are those true 4-3 defensive tackle and 4-3 defensive end positions in the Nebraska defensive scheme, or is there some overlap between the two? It was a true 4-3 my freshman year, and then after that it's been a 3-4, and then just different, you know, modifications in the 3-4. But it's, it's – three fours after that first year. You know, I like what I saw from you in 2016 and I graded you as a potential third round prospect after the 2017, but I thought you struggled a little bit uh, last year when they pushed you inside the nose tackle, the final eight games. What was behind that decision to, to uh, push you inside to nose tackle? Uh, they were struggling. So there's um, Damian Daniels. He was, he was just struggling to, he was supposed to be the guy and I was going to stay at in. But he was struggling to do it coming off of his redshirt for a year, and he just couldn't get the job done, so I had to go. I was playing both in fall camp, and then my nose got hurt, and I had to secure that for the cornhouse season. Now, this year you'll be back at defensive end. Which position do you think best suits your skill set? Defensive end in a three-man line or defensive tackle in a four-man front? Uh, I don't know. I really like 
I really like the four three and being a three tech, but I do like the four eye and a three and a three four. The way we run, we're running now. I think it best suits me being a, a end. You know that, that now that you're back at end. What are your responsibilities this season at defensive end? Are you more of a playmaker? Are you a gap occupier? Do you do a little bit of both? Uh, playmaker for sure. I don't, you know, I'm not the one to sit back and let people go make tackles for me. I'm trying to make every play. So uh, I'm gonna really just get after it this season um, and just be be how I was in 2016, 2016, 17. Now, the Cornhuskers have a kind of long tradition of dominant defenses with the black shirts. You mentioned your uncle as well was a black shirt, but things have kind of changed a bit since the tail end of Mike Riley's tenure. Is there one thing you can kind of put your finger on, specifically during that last year where Riley was the head coach, that kind of caused that downfall? Yeah, he, um, I mean, when he brought in Diaco, he just destroyed the, this program, and it's been trying to bounce back ever since. Could just came in and uh, changed everything around, and he just football was not fun when he was here. It was, it was miserable. I'm not going to lie. Well, you're honest with us. To be more honest, you know, Nebraska fans have a reputation for being some of the most knowledgeable, some of the most polite, some of the most respectful of any fans in the nation. They travel well, and they go above and beyond to support the program. You know, even in the down times, what's it like playing in front of fans like that? Man, you, just, even, you know in any game, they're going to be there. Road or a and high school, I went to a pretty big high school, so I always love the crowd. I like playing big crowds, and it's just it's you can't you can't beat the the crowd and the atmosphere at Nebraska, road or or home. Now, Carlos, what are your personal goals for the upcoming season, either statistically or otherwise? Um, really, I I just uh just be productive, man. If I just be productive and make plays for my team, we're gonna go as far as we can. And uh, just, I'm not going to put a number on it because, you know, the sky's the limit. I'm just going to ball out. Let me ask you, if, I, if, I'm, if I'm an NFL scout and I say to you, you know, Carlos, what's the one area of your game that you feel needs the most work? What's your response? What's your answer? I would, I would honestly say just, just being consistent. I haven't, I haven't been able to stand in one position and just, you know, my skill set. It's always been a year and move or, you know, change for this and do this. And I just want to be consistent, show what I can do in, in, a, in, in my skill set. They face teams like Iowa, Ohio State, Wisconsin, Michigan last year, programs that historically put a lot of offensive linemen into the draft. Now, it doesn't have to be from one of those teams, but which players or player stood out to you as your toughest opponent last year? Individually or or just as a unit? Uh, individually. Uh, shoot. I mean, the best O-lines here are usually Wisconsin, Iowa. Ohio State has pretty good alignment. I, I'm really a big fan of Wisconsin, and I, I, there's no particular player. I know 74 for Iowa, the tackle. He was supposed to be really good. and uh, But I didn't really get to go up against him because I was at nose, so. But they, whatever they, they run their offense really well, and uh, so, and Ohio State that their all line is just tough. They play hard, but they're a fun group to play against. And then um, Wisconsin, you know, they're just big. They just pound the ball on you. So I respect that. So probably those top three. Seventy four for Iowa is of course Tristan Wirfs, who a lot of people think is going to be a top fifteen pick in the two thousand twenty draft. 
Let me ask you about one of your teammates. If you were going to write a scouting report on linebacker Mo Barry, what would it say? Uh, I'm not really going to speak too much on Muhammad, but, uh, I mean, he's my dog. He plays hard, and, uh, you know, he's, he's a playmaker. But other than that, I'm really not going to say much because, you know, I have my own opinion. I think it should be kept to myself. How much do you think about the NFL draft or just a potential professional future? Um, I think about it all the time, man. I just, you know, it, it's new to me now. It's just, it's it's like a, you know, a new chapter to me. So I'm really just trying to focus on this last season and ball out, and then everything else will take care of itself. Let me ask you, scouts have you listed at six foot, one and a half inches. Is that correct? Uh, Yes, without cleats. Yes, without cleats. Probably, I, I'm probably, I'm probably more like six two, six, yeah, six two even. And they have you going about 310 to 312 pounds. Are you heavier? Are you lighter? Or, or, or is that right about where your uh, your weight is? I just did my DEXA and body body uh, composition yesterday, and I was 305 with 22.4% body fat. Is that your optimum playing weight, 305? Um, I'll probably get a little bit bigger, and then I'll probably trim a little bit in fall camp. But I could be – I've been 315 before. I played, I played at 315. And you're comfortable at that weight? Yes, I can. I can range from three fifteen and three twenty. I think my max will probably be like around three thirty. So Tony currently grades you as a fifth round prospect. A lot of scouts have you sitting in round six. What goals do you have looking forward to next April's NFL draft? Um, hopefully, going the my goal is to go top three. So uh, I really got to show what I can do, and um, just you know, just do what I do. What I know. I, I mean, I know what type of player I am. I just need. I just got to show it. Well, Carlos, you know, that's where I had you graded uh, after the 2017 season. After watching your freshman year and sophomore season, I absolutely feel that you have the potential, you know, to be a second-day pick. Yeah. It's just a matter of you being put in the right spot. You're obviously a great athlete. Yep. You seem that, uh, you, you know, you've got the dedication, and uh, you're really looking forward to the upcoming season. I want to thank you for joining us. Wish you nothing but luck, and uh, hopefully we'll, uh, we'll see the Cornhuskers back to their winning ways because – when Nebraska wins, it's good for all of college football. <laughs> I believe that. I believe that 100%. All right, Carlos, thanks again for joining us. We appreciate you uh, taking the time here. Go back and party with the rest of your defense. Have a good time tonight. All right, thank you. And that's it for the 78th episode of The Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms and leave us a rating and a review. And feel free to ask us questions on Twitter, that we'd be happy to answer on the show. Our next two episodes will take a look at the ACC, so keep an eye out for those over the next couple weeks and head over to draftanalyst.com for our team-by-team previews, which include write-ups on several players from each program and grades on every potential prospect from those schools. A big thank you again goes out to Nebraska's Carlos Davis for joining the show this week. And on behalf of Carlos, Tony, and myself, thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next week.